0: I'm Nick Andrews, and this is Game Theory, where my brother Chris and I discuss everything strategy, competition, and decision-making. Our topics include sports, economics, and policy. In this episode, we discuss the 2021 cicada bloom and how cicadas survive with power in numbers and how humans use groupthink and mob mentality to hide.
1: Unless you've been living under a rock for the past two months or underground for the past 17 years... By now, you've heard about the massive brood of cicadas that's emerged in the eastern United States. Up and down the mid-Atlantic, billions of largely valueless bugs have emerged from the earth after 17 years of gestating under the soil to spend a few weeks trying to get laid, suck sap from trees, and die a completely meaningless death. Of course, as part of the animal kingdom, cicadas are at high risk of being eaten by something higher up in the food chain, and boy, do they ever get eaten. But what if that's the whole point? What if the species knows it's going to get eaten in droves, and builds its entire survival strategy around that fact. When you have a numbers advantage over your predators, maybe survival of the group depends on individuals dying in droves. We're talking predator sedation and why sometimes sheer quantity drowns out quality in a noisy, awkward rush.
0: And welcome to episode 8 of Game Theory. I'm Nick.
1: I'm Chris. What's up, everybody?
0: Yo, so just like the rest of the internet, we're going to do some cicada content. Yeah, I mean, it's like uh, we kind of have to, right? Everyone's doing it. It's a thing that people are talking about. It's out there. It's happening. We must acknowledge the fact that there are bugs falling from the sky.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, they're falling from the sky. They're falling from the trees. They're coming up from underground. They're everywhere. Nick, have you seen any cicadas?
0: I have not actually. What's weird, uh, there were these Japanese beetles last year that were freaking everyone out. Was that last year? I don't remember what happened in the pandemic. It might have been the year before. I don't know. <laughs>
1: you know, you're thinking of the murder hornets that were freaking everybody yeah,
0: out. Yeah, that was the because the 2020 for me, like, kind of didn't happen. I kind of forgot that it was a thing. So I think 2019, there were these Japanese beetles that were freaking everybody out. But I, remember, I was in college at Ole Miss and in the South in 2013, I think. Maybe it was 2012. It was wild. They were, it was like a plague. It was crazy.
1: Yeah, these things are everywhere and it I don't know if there are a lot of uh etymologists is, is it etymologists or entomologists I can never remember I I, mean, I can never keep etymology or entomology straight and it's, it bugs me in a way I can't describe that
0: is a good question
1: I don't entirely know now that I think about it was a little wordplay joke for you Nick. huh yeah I, get it. yeah I get it yeah thanks well so I've seen uh some of these cicadas on like one or two occasions and they were just piled up Unmass dead at the base of a tree, and I don't know if they were waiting to get eaten or if they were just like the husks that they shed every once in a while, or what the situation was. But I mean, it's crazy. Like they were carpeting the ground around this tree. Uh, other than that, I think I might have seen one walking around, but yeah, uh, that's probably because I spend my days indoors pretending that we're not ready to go back to real society yet.
0: Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good point because. It's it's gonna be an intense introduction back into the real world that other things are happening, like the cicadas don't know that there was a plague and that we're all freaking out and what to do with them, especially when we think about like we're we're watching professional sports and there were incredibly brazen incidents of fan interaction with NBA basketball players. And we're like, Oh yeah, everyone's freaking out because we've been underground like the cicadas for years and years and years. So people are gonna be like losing their minds about it. And you forget that they're They're not all friendly. Like, I I don't know that I'd be pumped if your dog ate one of them, you know, and the FDA just issued a warning today as we record this, that if you have allergies, you should not only not eat them, but you should totally stay away from them. They're not, they're kind of a, they're, they're not a toy essentially.
1: Yeah, I think some people are trying to make a case that like, oh, they're edible. And I saw an article when I was preparing for this episode titled The Green Case for Eating Cicadas. And maybe if we have time at the end, we can uh, we can kind of get into that. But yeah, the FDA said that uh, they're basically large land-based shrimp. So if you have a shellfish allergy, you should not eat cicadas. I'm not going to eat cicadas in general because I don't like bugs as part of my diet. You know, maybe people do. That's for them to decide. It's not up to me. But I'm not going to eat them regardless. And if you have a shellfish allergy, uh, the U.S. government recommends that you don't uh, try experimenting with them. So, Nick, cicadas are everywhere. They're all over the ground. But did you know that there are a lot of different broods of cicadas and they don't all come out at once everywhere around the country?
0: Uh No, I thought that they were, I I watched this HBO show one time where cicadas and Burger King, and I, people will know about Silicon Valley, uh, for real. But I thought that there were three different kinds, and like it was lined up like a blood moon, but I don't exactly understand how it works.
1: Yeah, well, I, I don't know anything about the blood moon, but I do know that there are a lot of these so-called broods of cicadas. So, brood refers to like a batch that's underground, and they're baking or gestating or whatever it is they do for 17 years or so. Right. Uh and Each brood of Cicada has a different life cycle. I think they're based on prime numbers, interestingly. If you look at the different years that each different brood spends underground, I think they're almost all prime numbers, which I don't know what to make of that fact. But a brood is a batch that's kind of distributed in a geographic location. And this year, in 2021, the brood that's above ground is mostly in the mid-Atlantic states uh, along the East Coast. And it's called Brood 10 or Brood X which makes it sound so extreme, and and reportedly Brood 10 is one of the biggest broods of cicadas that's known to exist in the U.S., and the other broods are kind of underground, and they're not necessarily synced up on the same surface resurgence pattern. Uh, They stay underground for years and years, doing whatever it is they do, which mostly consists of building tunnels, uh, eating dirt. It's kind of like that episode of Pete and Pete. I don't know if you remember from... uh, Nickelodeon after school where one of the peeps gets in trouble and he like digs this tunnel network under his yard and it ruins the grass. Well, cicadas do a lot of that and they eat a bunch of stuff and they basically just gestate that entire time until their biological clocks say, all right, everybody, now's the moment where we go. Uh, The bugs can tell when the weather gets warm enough to get to the surface and they decide it's safe. And that's usually above 64 degrees Fahrenheit, according to Eric Day, who is an entomologist at Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University Extension. So the whole brood emerges en masse, and basically they spend like three weeks just desperately trying to get laid. Yeah. All they want to do is reproduce. So this loud, obnoxious buzzing sound that you hear associated with cicadas, that's all like male cicadas just begging for female cicadas to come... And make little cicadas. Yeah, it's like
0: like bucks or bull uh, elk or deer will call, and they'll, they'll 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 make those sounds. Ducks will do that. This is literally this is like the literal definition of peacocking. This is peacocking. Yeah
1: that, yeah, that that's that's exactly right. The males pretty much stay in one place. They get to the surface, and they're like, "Well, okay, ladies, here I am. You're welcome." <laughs> and so the females have to do all the work, which we all know what that's like in this unfair <laughs> society that we've constructed for ourselves. And so either they do or they don't get laid before they get eaten by someone's golden retriever. So uh, they do that on the surface, and then the surviving eggs get buried underground. And for the next 17 years, they sit and wait. And it's crazy to think about. For 17 years, I mean, that's the amount of time that it takes for like a newborn to come into the world and fall into the trap of thinking they're going to become a college football star, and have that dream crushed all in one life cycle of a cicada.
0: So that's what I'm asking. Like, so they're they're that old, and then they breed and die, or they like can live they live through multiple breeding
1: cycles. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. No, so they breed and die. Yeah. And the next generation is what keeps the brood going. So they they come to the surface. I don't know if they know they're going to die because I don't know if bugs really know. I mean, sure. logically, what is it to? be aware of oneself but the bugs base their survival strategy on all emerging at the same time overwhelming the market for predators giving themselves enough space and time to copulate and burying their eggs and dying
0: so the last time these these cicadas were hatched i guess is the term like the goo goo dolls were
1: popular yeah
0: and like bush was president the first time not the first bush the first the second bush the first time
1: Exactly, yeah. 2004, I suppose, would have been that year. I mean, had American Idiot come out at that point?
0: I think it was like 2003. I know that was around the time the Red Sox won the World Series finally. That was around that Brady was still kind of like, ooh, is he actually good or was it just a weird thing?
1: Well, I'll tell you what has been going on longer than this life cycle is the war in Afghanistan. We've been in war in Afghanistan for longer than the 17-year life cycle. Mm, That's intense. Sure. Yeah, a lot of stuff has happened between now and then. It, it kind of reminds me of, of stories that you hear every now and then. I, I think they're becoming less common, but every once in a while, some guy will emerge from his bunker from Y two K oh, and yeah. realize that like society continued over the last ten or fifteen years. And and I, I saw a story. There was a story that was making the rounds just a couple of weeks ago about some guy who was living off the grid. He came to town to stock up on supplies, and he saw people wearing masks, and he was just he had no idea what was going on. So he asked people. What what am I missing here? Why is everyone wearing a mask? And he had no idea there was a pandemic because he was just off living by himself doing his thing.
0: Yeah, which, like, I mean, I guess there are benefits and advantages to that. So let's talk about the benefits and advantages of why they do this, which is really fascinating because um, every species or phylum or kingdom or whatever, I don't really care, have their own ways of, like, existing against predators. We, I think, in my opinion, my hypothesis is that we're kind of everything, we are both a herd species and not a herd species. We're an individual. We're a pack like everybody. Like you just kinda of toggle on and off as humans. If we want to unite, we can. If we don't want to, we won't. Like spiders. These creatures, cicadas, are irrelevant. They don't have any skills outside of the fact that there are an incomprehensible amount of them. And I was thinking about this. So you you wrote about this in our prep, which was that what they do is they come out and they look at these other predators like your golden retriever and they're like, Yes they're going to eat us, but it's not physically possible for them to eat all of us. And there's a caveat here, which is that it's not possible for them to eat all of us in the time that it would take to do that before we go back underground.
1: Yeah, exactly. Cicadas are basically useless bugs. They can do almost nothing to defend themselves. Their only skills are eating, emerging from underground at the same time, having sex, and dying. Uh, They're terrible at flying, but they can fly. And I dread the day that I see one actually take flight. But they just have no ability to fight off predators. So they're super easy for even like the laziest predators to pick off. Right. Uh, they have a long list of predators too. So dogs, cats, squirrels, spiders, humans I guess on occasion. Some <laughs> humans out there. A lot of things eat cicadas. And they're really rich in protein. So they're good, tasty, uh, everybody wins type of meal for sure. somebody's dog or cat. So I don't know how good they would taste, but they there's there's enough of them out there to satisfy even the hungriest predators. Yeah. But I mean that's that's just the point. There are so many more cicadas out there than there is appetite among their predators that such that the predators will eat until they're full and there'll still be just a ton of cicadas everywhere. So really, the species wins. Uh, that's very different from the human survival strategy. And I think, obviously, the chief difference is, you know, cicadas are animals. But more importantly, like, to the species, individual cicadas don't matter at all. It doesn't make a difference to the brood if a few thousand get eaten because the millions that remain are going to continue the line.
0: Which is really fascinating to me because, like, if they were above ground for longer, they that would be a problem because, like, they're not above ground for long enough to call in the predators that would take advantage of them, right? Like if seagulls figured it out, eventually seagulls would adapt to the fact that there are all these things. And then there would be a bunch of seagulls and dogs and pumas and a bunch of crap would find out where they are. And then they would stop hunting each other. Like it would totally throw all of this out of balance. If animals could essentially rely on having cicadas every summer. Like we'd see like probably bears would act differently because they would understand like, well, we'll just go get the cicadas. There's a million of them and we'll eat everything that gets in our way anyway. So we'll kick all the dogs out. And this, I mean, the amount of food that's just free essentially and the amount of animals that need that kind of thing Uh, it could really throw crap out of whack, which is why the only way that this is even possible and the only way that they could survive is not that that there are like that many of them, but that they go back underground for long enough for generations of animals to die and forget that that even happened.
1: Yeah. the, The key in this predator sedation survival strategy that cicadas have, it's all in the timing. They can't stay above ground for too long because they would all get wiped out and all their eggs would get discovered and they just, they wouldn't make it. But On the other side of that coin, they also have to come out all at the same time. Because if it was just a percentage at a time, if certain parts of the brood started to emerge and then only months later other parts came to the surface, then it would be a sustained smaller amount. And that might be enough that predators can eat their fill, but that there aren't enough cicadas left to continue the brood in the size that it was or make it even bigger. So if they come out all at once... Then there's plenty of time for the ones that don't yeah. get eaten to reproduce, put their eggs underground, and get prepared to live out the rest of their 48 hours in peace. And so they have to coordinate somehow, some biological mechanism that makes them all do things at the same time. They all have to coordinate when they're going to surface, how long they're going to live, and how long they're going to continue to gestate for the next cycle for the next 17 years when they reemerge again in 2035. Yeah. or 2030, I guess, 2038.
0: Yeah. I'll let the nerds figure that out. I don't, I mean, I will will happen when it happens, but for me, when my experience is they're annoying, like they fly, they hit you in the head. You're like, am I getting bit by a spider? No, it's this, this boat that's flying through the air. It's they're, they're awful. They're They're, they're absolutely ridiculous, but I think there's a lot to be learned from their survival mechanism, especially how it can relate to humans. So a couple incidents, That have happened one in the last couple weeks and one in the last couple months where this kind of, it it reminds me of mob think and mob mentalities and just how effective that can be as self-survival and special survival. So we'll start first with the easy one, which is in the NBA playoffs. We think back for, I don't know if you remember, the last time the cicadas were out was around, this is literally true, pretty close to the month when the Malice the Palace happened. Oh, yeah. Right, which is a perfect example of this. Because yeah. before then, there weren't enough high-tech cameras that you theoretically could have tried to punch some people and got away with it, right? So you throw a water bottle at Ron Ortest or Meta World Peace or whatever he goes by now, and he gets mad. And he, what he does is he calls the fans bluff, which is fascinating because unlike hockey, which is one of my favorite sports to play, uh, where there's a barrier to entry, like having a fan run on the ice would be hysterical, just hilarious.
1: The Except NBA that that true. guy the tried to fight Ty Domi in the penalty box.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure that went really, really well. That was really, you can Google that. It's in, incredibly funny. This guy threw a water bottle, hit Ron Artest, and he called the guy's bluff. Like, are you, would you throw that on the street? Well, I'm mad now. Let's let's do this. We just have had these incidents recently with players running on the court. Water bottles, Trey Young was spit at. Madison Square Garden, Trey, uh, John Morant's family had three separate incidents of racist stuff happen to them in Salt Lake City, which is a fan base that needs to get checked a little bit that these kind of things are fine because the individual can hide within the group. And that makes them like, you can kind of get away with it you know, a little bit. If other people climb onto it, if you're the only one that throws a water bottle, you're going to get caught or dump popcorn on someone's head like they did in Philly, you're going to get caught. But once like in the Ron or test situation, it happens and there's a mob mentality, you're going to get away with it. Most likely there are some instigators who are going to get caught, but like, if you're just a B plus participant in this kind of thing you're probably going to be fine because you know that the authorities and the arena and the players they can't logistically be that mad at you and be mad at everybody else in an equal way that represents the law which is why groupthink is so scary that's what cicadas are doing they're coming up and they're 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 recognizing hey we are in deep trouble if like we had to fend for ourselves so instead let's just all go out here and they get who they get now the more serious portion of this, th- like I'm not that you know, being spit at at Madison Square Garden isn't serious. This is sort of what happened on January 6th at the United States Capitol.
1: Yeah, sure is. The The difference, I think, between what the cicadas do for their survival strategy through predator sedation and what other social species do, mm-hmm. like other primates, like especially humans do to survive is the cicadas come out in one large group to make sure that enough of the group survives that so that they can all collectively survive. It's really about the hive rather than it is about the individuals. Whereas in primates and other larger like mammal species that form herds, the point of the herd is to protect individual members of the herd rather than sacrifice them. So they do the same thing. It's a similar function, but the end goal is kind of different. And when you think about stuff like what happened on January 6th, the thinking... Largely in those groups is, well, they can't arrest all of us. And so that kind of perverts the natural human understanding of what social groups are supposed to do. It takes it from the group protects the individual to the group doesn't care about the individuals. They Mm. sacrifice the individuals who are going to get arrested or taken down or whatever. So that this kind of hive mind, this mob can continue to do whatever it is they want to do. And in that case... What they wanted to do was overturn the results of a free and fair democratic election. But the good news is we live in 2021 when there are cameras, when people are out reporting, when the FBI has all kinds of technology available to pursue leads. So the group can't really protect the individuals to the extent that individuals in the group might think that it can. One of my favorite stories about what happened on January 6th was most of those people were from out of town. This wasn't people in D.C. going to storm the Capitol because people who live near the seat of democracy in the Western world have a basic reverence for it. They understand the importance of having a free and fair government that's responsible to its citizenry. And people who don't live in Washington, D.C. or in that area don't really have a healthy enough respect, I think, a lot of times. It's one thing to be suspicious of the government, and it's another thing to think, well, they should be afraid of me because I'm going to go beat them up. That's just ridiculous and stupid. But in keeping with that, actually, people who came from out of town still want to get laid, much like the cicadas. Yeah. And so they turn on Tinder and they'll do things like brag about, oh, yeah, I was in the Capitol. So they'll post a selfie of them next to Nancy Pelosi's door and stealing a podium and doing whatever. Yeah. And so people in D.C. obviously understand that these clowns are from out of town. And so reportedly on a lot of the dating apps – bumble tinder hinge whatever a lot of people especially women change their preferences from politically liberal to politically conservative they match with these guys found out what they were doing that day and reported them to the fbi
0: <laughs> savagery absolute savagery from that the other i like what was remember the social media platform parlor and if i recall parlor was verifying people at an early at an early stage of their um participation in the apps like with Twitter and Instagram and others, like TikTok and whatever, getting verified as like the person whose name is associated with the account is sort of a badge of honor. It shows you have a certain number of followers. And it is also kind of an important thing. Like, if Ariana Grande tweets that this album is coming out, like, Twitter understands the relevance of, like, making sure, yep, that is the actual one we have verification. Well, Parler did that right away, which allowed people... The only way to do that, and apps do this now, they wanted an image of driver's licenses and whatnot so they could go on Parler, find out the stuff, they would get driver's licenses. Like, so not only were you there, but we know where you live, we know everything's going, and Parler's not sophisticated enough to keep us out. So, I mean, tracking the people down was very simple. However, I'm quite certain that not every single person who was in the Capitol that day has been arrested. uh, And it shows the success of this exact strategy, that even though... It was quite quite simple to track many of the main perpetrators down all over the country, with I mean the natural predators like we'll say in this instance the natural predators were the the liberal uh, females who were changing their stuff like uh, double agents and the government they were able to go after these kind of people but because there was groupthink it did work out for the people who were in the groupthink who weren't the main instigators as it did in the malice of the palace in 2004 2003 something yeah whenever the last case were around around there the majority of those people were fine
1: nothing happened yeah i think i think a lot of times what happens is those people get lucky and yeah. it's a matter of how much diligence there is i mean sometimes the system the predator does get satisfied they they, they, they get satiated by you know, the process and you know, Satiation might not be the right word when it comes to criminal justice. It might be more like fatigued or resources are stretched too thin. But the idea is the same. If enough other people get caught, then somebody who gets away with it for a little while just has to lay low and not really worry about it. But I think in most cases, that's, that's people getting lucky. I mean, we have a really robust criminal justice system here. And another difference between cicadas and humans is that cicadas only live for a couple of weeks and they only have one job. I mean, their one job is to get laid. And then they die shortly after. Humans, I mean, some people you would think getting laid is their only job. But for most people, they got to live a lot longer than that. And so eventually consequences tend to to keep up. So the, the group think betrays the purpose of humans being a social species. It betrays the individual because the point of the group goes from protecting each part of the group to being willing to sacrifice each part of the group. So it's, it's a completely animalistic style of behavior. And it's, that's why it seems so unnatural and so frightening when you see a mob and lots of people just screaming and chanting and throwing things and setting stuff on fire and trying to barge into a protected building. That's why it's so upsetting, is because that's not how human groups operate. I mean, you can tell the difference between a marching band and a mob. You know, a marching band is doing things in concert. It's an interesting, fun thing to see. But at the end of the day, they're not like sacrificing parts of the like, individuals to make the performance better. The point is to allow per- individuals to participate in the performance. And so the group benefits without having some expense that somebody can't afford to pay. And groupthink, it's the exact opposite. I mean, it's literally what bugs do.
0: <laughs> yeah, like it separates us from animals, their ability to not do that, which is... It's so fascinating. I always used to make a joke when I was in high school that like in this because I was a guy like guys IQ goes down by exponentially the amount of people that that person is with which is a joke but it's not and we've seen that. I mean it's not has anything to do with gender. It's like you're there's power in numbers in that like the likelihood of all of us taking the rap for this is so much lower and it feels it does feel unnatural but it it can feel natural to the people perpetrating it because they're like well. I know that I would never do this by myself, probably deep down. They probably know that, but then here they are with other people and they're like, well, I'm not stopping you. You're stopping me. I'm not stopping you. Then it just, it can only go down or up, right? Like it's not going to like, it's not going to stay the same amount of, I guess, like the activity is not going to stay the same. Either it's going to get worse and more aggressive or people are going to disperse out of, I would assume conscious or boredom. But if, if there's, if there's a spiral, it's going to go in one of those directions
1: yeah, I mean, people behave differently in groups than they do by themselves. I mean, you can see that on as quickly as changing a third person out for, you know, you and you – know, let's say you and your wife are out to dinner and you mm. go with one of your friends. Well, you're going to behave differently than if it's one of, like, her friends. I mean, not say you guys don't share friends. I mean, all <sighs> of your friends are lovely people, but mm. – You know, just changing that one person changes the dynamic, and of course that scales up hugely when you have a massive group of people, and when they have some kind of objective or some kind of agenda in mind, people's behavior change. It becomes a lot less restrained, and you get the kind of anonymity I think that is afforded to people who live a lot of their lives like online, who make fake profiles and troll people all day. That kind of protection, because they think, oh, somebody's not going to find out, or it's going to take work to find out who I really am. I'm kind of protected, and I can behave in ways that might not be so savory. I mean, I wouldn't want other people to witness what I'm doing right now. And I think that's some of the same things that happen when people get into large, amped-up groups and do things like commit a little insurrection. Man, I wish I had a group here to wrap this up.
0: (laughs) I wish I had. Uh, yeah, so um, you are currently on vacation. We're going to continue to try to record. Not quite once a week, but it's gonna tr- we're going to try to get to once a week. We are going to observe Pride Month. I always, when I used to produce podcasts professionally, try to do Pride Month at the end of June because people get super excited in the first 10 days of a month. You know, a month is like multiple weeks long. So we're going to look at the imitation game and the really difficult decision and what was true and false from the movie. And the difficult decision to use the information acquired from the technological breakthrough to get the most advantage with the least blowback. And of course, the imitation game, you make this advantage, you have intelligence, but how do you not tip your opponent that you have intelligence? Like what's the least amount that you can do to win, but also not get caught? So we're going to look at the imitation game and what's going on with DoorDash,
1: Chris. What is going on with DoorDash, Nick?
0: Why are my prices so high? Thanks for listening to Game Theory. This is Episode 7. Subscribe wherever podcasts
1: are found.